can have a seat, have some time to share some testimony here. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You know, our worship leaders were just talking about the love of God and seeing that love in Jesus. And uh, so this is our time of testimonies, telling stories of God's sightings. How has God showed up uh, in your life? And we'd love you to share that so that the rest of us can be enriched. Does anybody have a God sighting or just testimony you'd like to share? Anybody? Yes, we got somebody here. Oh, everything is wonderful. The microphone. I always wanted the microphone. Okay, so not to embarrass you, this is my son Luca, who I love. He is in Redlock High School. And it was always a prayer of mine that we would fill the bench with his friends, which we do. Not today, but on some Sundays. They overslept today, so just me and him. Um, we started a small group at my home for a Bible study for his friends. A lot of them whose parents uh, have never showed them God. They really don't know who he is at all, but they're seeking. And we wanted to get them all new Bibles so we could all have the same one and be on the same page. Um, and two weeks ago, we were able to buy them, which is awesome. They all came to uh, service with us, and after that, we went and bought them. I didn't know if I could afford them all, because there was like eight we were buying at the time. They were like, you know, almost $100 each. And my sister just so happened, it was really sweet, to donate the funds for them to all to get their Bibles, so she bought them for you. Amen. I thought that was the answer to prayer. Yes. All right. All right. God showed up. God showed up. Anybody else? Yes. Oh, here we go. Betty. I have a doozy for you here, hon. Uh, quite a, a couple of years ago, uh, I was, my granddaughter was visiting to me, and uh, she stayed about a week. So when she came back, this was in uh, uh, Michigan, uh, and uh, it's time for me to take her home. So I took her home, and it started raining like crazy, and it was cold and everything. So uh, uh, when I got back out to my car, uh, I was trying to open the door, and with the rain and everything, I slipped, and I fell right out in the middle of a busy highway, right in the middle. And all of a sudden, I was laying there, and, and I just opened my eyes because I felt different, you know. Uh, there was no cars anywhere. And then I looked up, and Jesus was hanging over me. And at the bottom, there was an angel. And, and, and they stayed there, and the street was clear until I got up and got back in my car. Then the car started coming going. Wow. Amen. The Lord sending his traffic angels to watch over you. That's awesome, Betty. Thank you so much. Amen. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Way in the back. Good morning, church. 
So a couple weeks ago, I was uh, sitting just in my house, and usually our evening routine, we just kind of have dinner, kind of feed the cats, and we just Netflix away. And I don't remember what Ryan was doing, but he was busy. And I just had this feeling like, I should just go clean out a box in the garage. And I had not done so in a couple weeks. And I'm like, okay, that's weird, but I'll go clean out the box. And then I was ruffling, and I was just finding these childhood things and these wonderful memories and just my bucket was filling. And then I saw this Cookie Monster wallet my mom bought for me when I was 19 years old. I had a Cookie Monster phase. And I'm like, that's cool. And then I'm like, I should open the wallet. I don't know why I should open the wallet, but I opened the wallet. And I'm like, oh, look, there's my little college ID. It was a little baby, look at me. And then I'm like, I should see if I left myself money. There was no money. And I'm like, well, I checked all the pockets. I should look in this pocket, I guess. And I pull out a receipt from when I worked at the Family Christian store, and it had my favorite teacher's number saved on it from my childhood. Um, I just missed out on her being my, she retired one year before she would have been my teacher, but she sewed into me. She spoke life into me. She incredibly encouraged me. And I'm like, well, I could call her. She probably has passed away by now, but I can try. And so her voicemail is her voice. And I'm like, oh, thank God. So I start leaving a message and she picks it up. She's like, oh, Bethany Tylo, that's my main name. She's like, I would know you anywhere. I would know you. And here I was like, I wasn't even going to clean out these boxes. And it just, the series of events, we talked for two hours. And she filled me. And she spoke into me in a way that I have not heard since I was 12 years old. And uh, power of prayer. And I'm hoping she made it to her granddaughter's uh, wedding yesterday. We've been praying for her because she has blood transfusions and things. But not only that, I asked her, I'm like, well, your daughter is my teacher right now. How is she doing? She's going to connect me to my other favorite teacher, Mrs. Smith, and uh, I have not, I've dreamed of her since I was in middle school when she retired too, so through this series of just, I found out later that I was listening to God because I connected with Ms. Scott and I would have missed her because she was, I wouldn't have been able to talk to her for a week if I hadn't called her right then, um, and God is just so good. He just led me to it, so. Amen. Amen. Yeah, God's timing. It's amazing how God moves with us. Anybody else? Okay, here. Thank you. So um, last week we went to um, Missouri to this Christian conference called The Send, and we were praying for healing, and they said, um, if you're deaf, we're going um, we're gonna to pray for you to be healed. And my cousin was there, and all day she'd been having these terrible pains in her left ear, and um, she saw right in front of her, and they said, put your hand on the part that you would want to be healed, and she, the lady right in front of her put her hand on her left ear, and she realized that God had given her this, this pain so that she could know that she should pray for this lady to be healed, and so she said, hey, can I pray for you? And she explained, and she laid hands on the lady, and the lady was healed. Amen. God can move, and everybody can be used by God. All right. So uh, thank you very much. I, I want to close by sharing my connections with Ukraine and going there. 
And uh, one of my students, uh, when I taught at a seminary there, is now a pastor, and he asked me to do a teaching. And so Friday we recorded it, and then he's doing the, the interpretation uh, into Ukrainian, and it's being broadcast um, uh, today. And uh, so I just want to thank God for the opportunity. And what he wanted me to share with people was, was uh, something I taught, is, is how do you love your enemies? You know, the, the Russian invasion and the brutality, the massacres and all that, a lot of the Ukrainians are feeling hate in their heart. And he's, as a pastor, is really concerned. How do we, in this horrible situation, not be destroyed by the hate that grows up inside of us? And so he talked about how, how Jesus can help us to overcome evil with good. And uh, so pray for the Ukrainian brothers and sisters. And I'm just, uh, I thank the Lord that I got this opportunity to share and speak into their lives. Thanks, Dan. Um, if you'd like to stand, we'll do a few more songs. This next one, um, it's, a, it's a cry to God. It's, it's us asking, we, we need your help with if it's us, if it's um, the condition of the world. Uh, yeah. Thank you. 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and Yeah. 
Good morning. Thank you, worship team. Let's give them a hand again. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jerry. Uh, welcome to Genesis this morning. We're so glad you're here with us in person or online. Um, I have some announcements for you. Please take a moment to let us know you're here by filling out either the digital connection card on our website or that you receive through text or the physical green card in your pews. If you're, new to Genesis, if, there we go. if you're new to Genesis, you can text new to Genesis, all one word, to 94,000 to let us know that you're here. Include your name and your email address. You can place the physical green cards in the box at the back of the sanctuary beyond the doors. Um, it's a wooden box. Um, this is where you can also place your offering if you've brought it with you today. We want to thank everyone who continued to give online or through text, and um, I'm going to pray for our offering real quick. Lord, thank you for all that you provide for us, for our community, for every person here. Um, Lord, we pray that you continue to provide for all those that in our community and for our church and for all the things that we do through those that give. Amen. All right. 
Mark your calendars, well, I guess not mark your calendars, but plan to join us this coming weekend, if you can, for family camping on Memorial Day weekend. Friday through Monday, we'll be there. Join us for the whole weekend or any part of it, and you can contact Vicki Brown, who was in the lobby. I think she will be after service as well. Join us for a potluck on Saturday, May 28th at 12 p.m. Bring a dish to pass, your own table setting, meat and beverage. Come celebrate in the sunshine for the day. One of our Genesis pillars is belonging, and we're trying to create places to belong. And one of those things will be summer gatherings. So are you willing to host a summer gathering? Um, maybe an evening in your backyard around the fire or a picnic lunch or summer games or some other creative thing that you love to do. Genesis is a place of belonging and we want to extend that belonging to others over the summer. Contact Pastor Nate to set a date or respond to the Sunday text message or write it on the green card. Just contact someone about it. <laughs> Um, and lastly, on Sunday, June 5th, we will be eating together following our worship service. So please bring a dish to pass. And at this time, I'd like to release you for connection. Turn to someone and say hello if you'd like. Good morning. Welcome. It's great to have you here if you're on Facebook, if you're on Zoom, or here in the room. I'm ready to go. I've got my hammers. I've got a couple books, got my notes, and we're going to talk about wrath today. Everyone's favorite topic. 
So what we've done, uh, a couple, so the series we're in is called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. One that's based on this book, or at least the title of it, and some of the headings by a book with that title, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. If you're interested in reading more, it's a pastor from Missouri, Brian Zand, that's where I'm from, um, has written this book. But today, as I talk about the wrath um, I'm really using some material from Brad Jersick, who is a professor in Canada at a seminary, and his book's called A More Christ-Like God, as we talk about the wrath of God. Everything that we talk about here today um, is, is room for dialogue and discussion. As we talk about wrath, you can, you can disagree. You can think, well, I, this isn't an issue for me. And if it's not, no big deal. But for some, this idea of the wrath of God described in a certain way is a big issue for people. It's a big issue for people outside of Jesus. It's a stumbling in some way. And so that's why we want to take a look at it. And so I want to walk us through this. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. And so I cannot cover everything. And next week we're going to talk about, the, about this idea of sinners in the hands of a loving God and looking at the Old Testament. Because many of us, when we think, well, God's loving, what about this story and this story and this story and this story? Where it seems like God is the one who released violence. And so we're going to talk about those things. And what about hell? And what about the cross? It's all coming. But if you're interested in knowing more, if you're intrigued by the idea, if you disagree strongly, be curious about why you do. Uh, if you want to read in more detail, this is a great book, A More Christ-Like God. And he's got four chapters specifically on wrath and about four that help you prepare for those chapters. And so I love it. But to begin, there's nothing that we're going to talk about today that puts us outside of historic Christianity. Nothing. There's nothing that is going to be opposed to the teachings of Jesus in any way. And so that's why I want to start today with the Nicene Creed. The creeds are created as there was a movement of Christians to say, let's be unified together. And so know that the questions we're asking and what we're wrestling with is what Christians have wrestled with. And to wrestle with these do not make you conservative, liberal, or anything. They make you a Christian. To wrestle. They make you a Christian who is digging into theology so we will think about God. <laughs> And that's what we hope to do today. But as we begin, let's recite the Nicene Creed. I love this one because so much of it starts with we. It's a unifying one. And so if you'll understand what we talk about, nothing that we're talking about today specifically is in this. But would you stand with me and let's recite this together. And if you're on, online, if you're at home, read it along with us to anchor us in a bigger church. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven 
and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from God, from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. Amen. They can be seated. So again, today, you can disagree. You can wrestle with this. Um, feel free to. If this feels like there's something that's said today that hurts you, that hurts your relationship with God, think about it. Come to me. Talk to me. Let's pursue that. That is not my intent. The intent is not to make anyone feel bad for disagreeing or think that you are wrong. I just want to present possibly something different. Not that I created or made up, but something that the scriptures paint to. So that's our hope today. So Jesus, would you lead us into all unity and truth? Amen. Um, last week, it was Saturday, and I went about my business and was just with my family and hanging out and lived, took our boys and did the day's work. And Sunday, I got up for church and came here and, and, and taught and opened up this series, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. And then I got home, and I popped open my phone for the news for the first time for the weekend. And you know what I saw? That a white man went into a grocery store and murdered 10 people, 10 people of color with racist intentions. It seems like any time you go a day without reading the news, that all of a sudden you look the next day or two days later and there's something tragic that has happened. Not only tragic, but something so disgusting, so dark, so terrible, so heinous, something filled with hate. All you can do is drop to your knees and say, God, have mercy. How awful for someone to be filled with so much hate and to step into a place and murder a number of people. We know this did not come out of anywhere. This was a seed of hate that was buried within someone Maybe they're, from whatever teachings, from wherever they went, from whatever society is seen, there wasn't wholeness in their thinking. I, I don't know. I just know that it was not good and terrible and the epitome of darkness. Jesus himself said, the thief comes only to kill, to steal, and to destroy but I have come to give abundant life. I'm the good shepherd who lays my life down for the sheep. So what we talk about today might have some bearing on this. For anyone who thinks that God somehow is involved in these kinds of violent actions in the world, well, be it from a delusional or just hate-filled human, or maybe even potentially in a natural disaster, somehow crediting the wrong persons with the wrong thing. Uh, the, this book is named after a famous sermon 
Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, written by Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s. He gave it. The series is not really about Jonathan Edwards at all. It's about God. But we do have to pause to remember Jonathan Edwards as a Christian, a man who loved Jesus, and in a time frame that also slavery was legal within our area. And Jonathan was one who actually had slaves and defended slavery. Jonathan was also involved in uh, evangelizing to Native Americans and the view, the consensus of people at the time. This was the stream of humanity. These people are savages. They are less than. And so, in some ways, they, they thought it was okay to treat them this way. That was the stream which humanity was moving in. So that stream has consequences if we miss the overwhelming and abundant stream of God, which is love. And if we distort the stream of God's love and look at some other pictures of God that may, we think, justifies terrible things towards certain people, we're getting it wrong and profaning the name of God and hurting our brothers and sisters in this world and hurting God. Who said... It's all summed up in loving me in the only way that this looks. The only way that you can show what loving me looks like is by loving your brothers and sisters. And let me take it even further. When I say let me, I'm speaking for Jesus here. Let me take it further. As Dan said, that means love your enemy. That means love the one who's different than you. That's what that looks like. It has teeth. And so that's where you want to go today. And so let me begin with this scripture in 1 John. The disciple of Jesus in verses, in chapter 4, verse 16. We have come to know and we have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God is in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, we also are in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And so in this, John, the disciple of Jesus, is saying, God is love. Period. Full stop. This is God's essence. This means something. And for this to have perfection, it will cast out all fear. When it meets its completion of God's love, when we get the width and the depth and the reality of it, it pushes out all judgment, all fear, because that has to do with punishment. And so today we want to talk about love and what does punishment typically do? It causes a number of us, if we think someone's going to punish us, we're going to, re- we're going to run from them. But in here, John is saying, God is love. I found this great. And now, so as you say that, have you ever been like, yep, God is love, but he's also holy. God is love, but he's also just. You ever, have you ever heard anybody kind of add these other metaphors onto that, other descriptors? That's not what John is doing here. He's saying God is love. Boom, period, stop. I found this cartoon, which I thought was hysterical. And I actually bought it paid for this. And so you can see the guy on there on the surgical table says, God loves you, but, 
and then that's, that's the trinity there. And it says, we're going to have to remove your butt. Because right? that, that butt kind of creates a problem for us. God is love. Now, when we say God is love, that has teeth. That is not some sentimental feeling. It has teeth. And today, as we open up this conversation about wrath and the wrath of God, we're going to be continue going back to God is love. And we're going to go to wrath. We're going to talk about wrath. And we're not going to remove it from the Bible because it's in there like 200 times. But we're going to try to move through this and say, how do we understand this? This God of wrath. If you were with us last week, in Hebrews, it paints this. And so we're going to continue to go back to Jesus because this is this idea of God. So wrath... Um, what is your wrath like? When somebody says, hey, you're going to experience my wrath. Now, it's a metaphor to describe what humans do. That's what wrath means. We know what wrath is. Wrath is this idea that, hey, you've pushed me to the limit, and now you're going to get my wrath. It's going to pour out. Wrath is an, it's a, it's a human thing. And so this human idea, this metaphor, is being, being, it's being applied to God. In the same way that the scriptures apply the uh, metaphors like sleep. It says, God, why are you sleeping? Rise, come and attack our enemy. But here's the question. Does God sleep? Anybody know that answer? No, he doesn't. It's a metaphor. We, we, get, we get what the metaphor is saying. The metaphor is not saying literally that God sleeps. The metaphor is saying, God, it it seems to us as if you're not moving, that you're not acting. And so wrath is also this this metaphor. The problem is when we were looking at Hebrews and even the mouth of Jesus when it comes to the wrath of God, where it seems to communicate that God is responding with violence and anger and retribution towards people. And yet Jesus, and in the New Testament, say things like this. This is Hebrews. It says, oh, Jesus is the exact essence. This is what we read in the uh, Science and Creed. He's the icon of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I look. If you want to know what God looks like, look at me. I am the essence of God. Full stop. At times before, God spoke through prophets and other things, but I have come to reveal the Father. So Jesus gets crucified, murdered, brutally, as a victim by Rome, religious leaders, violence forced upon him by the hands of Pontius Pilate in Rome and the Jewish leaders. And while he's on the cross, breathing his last, he says this, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Was, was that Jesus just in that one moment mustering up just a little bit of patience in that moment, but later on he's going to pour it all out on him? Oh, no, for, forgive him now. I'm going to show my good side here. Or is that the essence of God? Forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. Well, Jesus is buried and he's, and he's raised from the dead. How many of those people did, did Jesus strike down after he rose from the dead? To whom did Jesus go after, or who did the disciples go after, with violence of any kind, and say, you're going to get what is due to you? None. Never. 
How about those who would persecute the church and hunt and kill them? Paul was one of them. No, God actually goes after him in love, not with violence. So this is, this is the issue. And we're not going to solve all of that. But you see where we're going. Our view of Jesus is the highest of all. We're not trying to minimize anything. We're just trying to allow Jesus to be at the highest. And so we're taking Jesus seriously because he is our Lord and our Savior. Jesus himself said, you know what? The purpose of the scriptures, they point to me. They point to me. So then what do we do with this picture of wrath? Intrigued? Do you care? Seem worthwhile? Well, this picture of wrath is a metaphor. And so here's Psalm 7, verse 12. If one does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and taken aim. He has also prepared deadly weapons for himself, and he makes his arrows fiery shafts. Those are 12 and 13. So this is God. Does God take up bows and arrows and fiery shafts and take these weapons in order to put it out on people who don't repent? Is this what God does? Is this who God is? And that's a psalm. It's poetic in nature. It's trying to get a point across. So that's the language. It's painting God, picking up weapons of warfare to take it out on humanity. But if you read on, then it says this. Behold, an evil person is pregnant with injustice, and he conceives harm and gives birth to lies. He has dug a pit, hollowed it out, and has fallen to the hole which he made. His harm will return onto his own head, and his violence will descend on the top of his own head. So who then is inflicting violence on the person who doesn't inflict, that doesn't repent? Is it God? Well, no, he's saying the violent person is digging a pit, and they're going to fall into it. They're, the violence that they're construing is going to fall on them. That's what this metaphor of wrath of God is beginning to look like. The natural consequences of going our own way. And there's a way to view the scriptures in such a way. Paul went there and did this. And God, in his love, grants freedom to us to go our own way. And in essence, God's wrath is him consenting, permitting to not spare us from the powerful consequences of these forces that take course. In this beautiful book by Brad Jersick, he says, so in the Bible, where we see and hear of God's wrath, what we actually witness is God's nonviolent, he calls it the cruciform consent, in the same God who allowed himself to be crucified, crucified, brutalized in the name of love. It's consenting out of his love to allow people the human freedom to do these atrocities. We see the painful results of God letting us have our way. But we know that sin, this is not saying there's no consequence because sin has a wage. Here, here's a beautiful, um, let me try to give you an analogy of this um, with two hammers. I'm going to need a couple people to help me with this. Oh, Kate is already ready to go. We say hammer, and Kate is like, yeah, I'm in. 
Okay, um, do you have anybody else willing to help with my analogy? Kate's got a hammer. Please, I'll, I'll let you know when to do something with it. Okay, here's Ryan. Lord, help us. You said, okay. Now, Jenna's already told me we may not have enough insurance to do this properly, but we're going to try. So, the, the point of this is this. So, um, this is a competition to see who can throw the hammer the highest. Now, our ceilings are probably, what, I don't know, maybe 40 feet in height. Who can throw the hammer the highest? Now, you guys want to wager on who you think here has got enough to be able to do this? Is it Kate or Ryan? Okay, now, before we do this, now, understand, I am, I am painting an analogy here, and I want to add a little bit of humor for this day. What would happen if they throw the hammers up? The hammer's going to come down. Um, is God causing this? I mean, kind of, he created gravity. <laughs> natural, natural elements of the world. But it's God's hand on the hammer. No, it's the natural consequence of throwing a hammer up in the air. It's going to come down. Could that hammer come down on Ryan's head? Kate's head? Hannah's head? Andrew's head? It could come down on any one of our heads. Would that be God being like, eh, it was just your time. You kind of deserved it too. No, it would be the natural consequence of Ryan choosing to say, okay, yeah, I'll participate and then I'll throw a hammer up in the air. We'll try this. Thank you. We're not going to do it. <laughs> now, the guy who wrote this book, Brad, he did it. Him and his other seven-year-old or eight-year-old buddy did it. They threw hammers up, and for whatever reason, his dad had the sense to say, Brad, don't throw hammers up in the air. <laughs> Parents, have you ever told your kids not to throw a hammer in the air? I, I've let my six-year-old use a hatchet. But one of the rules is I haven't said, Harvest, don't throw the hatchet in the air. I'm probably going to need to add it to this. Don't throw it in the air, but so what do you think, for the sake of story, what do you think Brad does? When him and his buddy are together, he has the idea, let's have the competition, let's throw the hammers up in the air. His friend gets hit by his, cracks open his head, they go to the hospital. Brad's dad comes and takes Brad to the emergency room to be there with the, the other boy and the other boy's father. And Brad has to watch as his friend is screaming because they can't add any pain medication as his head gets sutured, sutured up. Was his father punishing him to see that so he could see the result of that? No. His father was actually trying to be a presence of love for this boy who was hurting and wanted to sit with him in his pain. And he wanted Brad to come with his friend and love him too. But the reality is that Brad did cause the harm because he had this stupid idea to throw hammers. I want to throw out that this is the picture of wrath that we see in the Bible, this metaphor. Could, we, could that nuance of this idea of God's wrath be like that, the natural consequences of God allowing us to go our own way, and when we go our own way, we will hurt other people, potentially. And we'll, we'll see that, and we'll want to make that right, and, and love them, and we want to do that. When I was a foolish young guy, we would launch water balloons with these water balloon launchers. And we stayed up one night camping in the backyard and wandered off and started launching water balloons into this gas station parking lot. 
at the night workers who were there. Well, the night workers didn't think it was funny. Th this is a picture of one of white privilege <laughs> and all sorts of other things. But the workers at the gas station started coming up our street with a chain in his hand. Well, I hit, we hid in the bushes. And he didn't find us. But there would have been a consequence had he found us. My other friends went out shortly after this, and I wasn't with them, and they were launching water balloons, and they hit a car on the hood of it of a young guy. And they, they knew the kid, and the kid called the cops on him, and then they had to pay all these things. So the reality is that sometimes, yeah, we, we, I, I still experience the consequence of those things because I was stupid enough to do these things and cause harm. I think it was me and my buddies who continued to share the ideas with other people who did it, and things happened. And, they, and I was stupid. And, and in that stupidity of certain things, I didn't learn. And so I did a lot more stupid things that caused a lot of harm to other people. That potentially is allowing me to go in towards the wrath of God. Natural consequences for what we are doing. Does God have any part in that? No. That's him allowing me and all of us to kind of go the way that we will go. Wrath is a metaphor for the intrinsic consequence of our refusal to live in the mercies of God. So Paul, he even, he even goes there with this. He's interpreting the scriptures in this way. You can find this in Romans 1. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then he goes on to say... In verse 24 and 26 and, and 28, he's going to describe what the wrath of God is. He says, therefore God gave them up to vile impurity and the lust of their hearts. In 26, and for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. And in verse 28, and just as they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind. So you see that Paul is even saying, yeah, God's wrath is God giving them over. Letting them go their own way. Having the consequence of that. Uh, Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, is this beautiful ethic of following Jesus that we're meant to obey. And Jesus talks about all sorts of beautiful and challenging things like love your enemy, <laughs> pray for your enemies, forgive them. But he also says, hey, you've, you've heard it like adultery is bad. Yep. And adultery has some pretty significant consequences within a covenantal relationship. And for those of you who experienced it, you know that. You know, you know the weight of it. It's not beyond mercy. It's not beyond grace. But you know that it has consequences to the person whom you've covenanted to. Well, Jesus goes on to say, yeah, we, we, we know that's terrible. It's not, not a good idea. Don't do it. But then he also says, um, don't lust after another person. Does he do that to say, now some, and, and I've heard people in churches use this all the time, they say when Jesus puts that up there, he's trying to create an impossible standard that nobody can actually live up to, and so that you fall on your knees and um, repent. <laughs> that is so dumb. No, Jesus is trying to say, because in the same way he says, if you hate your brother, it's like murdering them, so if you see that this sin is in your life, cut it off, get rid of it. No, he's trying to tell you, there's consequences for living a life of lust after another person. It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring havoc to your mind and to your heart and to your relationships. The one who's going to pay is you. 
In the same way that Jesus said that if you hate your brother and you have anger towards them, yeah, it's like murder because it's going to have supreme consequences for the way you see things. Not because God's going to make you pay, because those things have immediate consequences for your relationships. Does this minimize this like, oh gosh, well now we're, we have no motivation to obey God and do what God said? By no means, there's extreme consequences for you going your own way. And Jesus says, I want to lead you to life. And there's one who wants to bring you to the destroyer and the death and that. And that's the thief. The one who's looking you to pay is not God. Let's go the way of God. In 1 Corinthians, this is really interesting. This is another little nuance of Paul. When he's talking about this sort of act of wrath of God, there's some stories in the Old Testament, and they're all kind of crazy, and this is an answer. <laughs> I got no answers for a number of things. But one of the things that happened, God freed a whole bunch of people, the Jewish people from, from Pharaoh and Egypt, and they wandered into the wilderness, and they got mad at God. And they're like, God, we don't got food to eat, and we're, we don't like you, and give us meat, or we're going to go back to Egypt. They, they tested God. And if you read through the Exodus story, it's very clear that God got angry with them, and the ground opened up and ate up the people. And um, serpents came out as they grumbled against God and killed the people. And in Exodus, it makes it look like that God was the one who did it. This is God's active wrath. Well, here's Paul. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 10 as he recounts these stories. And he's, re he's reminding the people of these stories. It says, nor are we to put the Lord to the test, as some did. They put him to the test when they grumbled against God and said, God, if you don't give us meat, we're going to go back to Egypt. You, you shouldn't be worshipped, you're not our God. That's what they were doing. Do this or we'll do this. And then it says, and we're killed by the snakes. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and we're killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so Paul, is, it's really interesting here. He's very careful to distinguish here. Yes, the people tested God. But what actually killed them? What does Paul say? The snakes. And some of them grumbled, and they did. But they were killed by what? The destroyer. Why doesn't Paul say God did it? Paul's warning, then, as he goes on, is not... God will get you. <laughs> but anybody, anyone have these sort of these ideas that God will get you? That's not what Paul is encouraging here. But the intrinsic consequences of sin. It opens the door for serpents or the destroyer to lay waste of our lives. Do you get the nuance there? Do you get why this would be healthy and maybe helpful for us? God is not the destroyer of the serpent. He's the Savior. This is what I quoted in the beginning. This is, how does, how, does John, how does Paul even assume this? Because Jesus said it himself in John chapter 10. The one I quoted at the beginning of this. The thief is the destroyer. Who only comes to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus came to lay his life down. Not to take it. 
one more, one more turn before I move to why this matters and what this looks like for us. Why this nuance will move us more into the love of God and the purpose of God. I think it's healthier and helpful. Why I want to teach on this, live into it, find it beneficial for me. God willing for you as well. Here's Romans 5. Verse 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Many of us have memorized these texts right here. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So, okay, so what do we... What do we do with this? Betty, I hope you're okay. So we should be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now, this is the New American Standard Bible. And so I just want to point to something. The scriptures, we're, we're reading them. We're trying to understand. We want to be guided into all truth and light. And the New American Standard is a beautiful translation. It's a great translation because um, it's a word-for-word translation. And it's a great one, too, because they kind of, they show you more of what they've done as they were translating. A lot of the other versions do not. They don't show you the work of the translator. Now, what I mean by that, and I've shared this once before, so if you didn't know this, so in the New American Standard Bible, if, if the words are in italics, um, that's not for emphasis. If the words are in italics, it means that the translator put them there because they thought that that was, like, that... For them, they're like, uh, we, we think this is actually the meaning, and so we're going to add it in there. But we're going to put it in italics so you know we added it. That it's not actually in the text. It's not in, you know, but they think it's, it's so, so clear, or it's so understood, we're going to put it in there, but we're going to let you know it's not in there. There's not any marking that would say, yeah, this is so clear, this is where it has to be. And I only point this out because, again, we're talking about this wrath of God. Paul is very aware of the wrath of God. He wrote it in Romans, but he did not use that language, the wrath of God. He just said wrath. Translators said, hey, we think it's understood in there. We're going to put up God. I'm only kind of mentioning this only to say is I, I, I think we see this pattern of, being, you know, of wanting us to be able to understand. It's just God's hand. In this. So, it's in italics, meaning they added there. So, we could read that without the italics being there, saying, but God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much, much then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Still true. And so let's just answer some questions. I have some here. These are not meant to be like patronizing questions. <laughs> They're just meant to be like, that kind of help us to like reverse engineer a little bit. And so the first one, who's the agent of salvation here? You say God, you might even answer Jesus. Anybody have a different answer? And God or Jesus? <laughs> Whose love is at work? Somebody just shout it out. There's, you, won't get a, you, you won't be the teacher's pet. 
But would you shout out the, the new, that we, you know what the answer is? Can you shout it out? God demonstrates his own love towards us. Whose love is that work? Yeah. Who is forgiving and reconciling sinners? What is God saving us from? Yeah. So, if he's saving us from wrath, is God saving us from God? No. Doesn't, that, no. Now, I know that we've, we've, you, you've, you've heard of maybe theories of atonement, and that's what they are. They're theories that paint that picture in that way, and so we're not speaking against the scriptures. I'm pushing against the theory that I think harms the image of God and that shines poorly on the face of Jesus and God. God's not paying back God. God's not poor. God is saving us from wrath, the consequence, the natural consequences of our sin. Death, sin, destruction. He allows us to go our own way. But that's not the end of the story. If God just allowed us to go our own way, that's called the law. (laughs) It's called living under the law. Hey, I'm going to let you do what you want to do, and it's going to have consequences for your life, and it's going to bring death. And if you don't get it right, then I'm going to come down with wrath on you. That's the law. But no, God meets us with grace. He comes to participate. He steps in. When we were still sinners, he came to save us. God steps in. God participates. This is super important. Yes, our Heavenly Father allows, but He is truly good and He cares. This is incomplete. So beyond gravity, there is grace. You get what I mean? That beyond wrath, the gravity of the natural consequences, the way you're living, there is grace. Beyond, yes, you will, what you sow, you will reap. There is grace that is stepping in. And how does, what does that grace look like? How did Jesus nuance this grace? Well, he said it looked like this. He said, what shepherd, what person among you, if you had a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off, what would you do? Yeah. They're going to get the natural consequences of wandering off. Screw them. What does Jesus tell us? How does grace intervene as the sheep wanders off and is going to experience the natural consequence of walking off from the shepherd, which will be death? No, the shepherd goes after the one. Goes after the one. Being willing to lay down his life. Going after the one who's experiencing the consequence of their own foolishness. Going their own way. Not wanting us to be alienated from God, but wanting to reconcile us to God so that we would at all times have confidence to come near to God who is coming after us. Our God is stepping with grace and sending other people to come around us, to care for us. To say, don't go that way. Don't go that way. Come with me. That's not good. Don't do that. That's what love looks like. Going after the others. And God has gone after you. And not, and, and not only that, but God sends his children to go after people. So maybe that's new right now, and you're like, I'm just doing my own thing. 
but I'm experiencing some weighty consequences of me just doing my own thing. And sometimes we think that we got to do something, that, like, well, how do we get right again? And the, the beauty of what Jesus is saying, that people are coming after saying, come home. Come back to God. Embrace his love. Let God teach you and walk with you. Let God forgive you. Let God walk into this way of life. Don't go that way. There may be some work ahead because of all the consequences of going our own way. There may be some things we still need to pay back and make right, pay restitution for, to make good on. But he's inviting us to come back. This is what love looks like. This is what Jesus does, and this is what he invites his kids to do. Jesus is continually reminding us, I go after the one who is choosing to go their own way. I go after him. And he sends us. Now that kind of love is really costly. I actually don't like that kind of love. I don't like when God's asking me to go after someone who's wandered. Now I don't mind it if it's like, hey, we're going to meet for coffee, and it's going to take about 30 minutes, and um, I'm going to give you some truth, and I'm going to pray for you, and then I can go home. All right, that's good. Is that love? I mean, kind of. I got a friend who's making some really terrible decisions, and he's caught in addiction. He's drinking, and he's drinking, and he's drinking, and he's on the edge of homelessness. And he called me, and he's like, I don't want to live anymore. So I took him to the hospital because I thought he was suicidal. And um, so he, he went in, and then he didn't stay. They won't make you stay. So he kind of said, so I drop him off there, and he calls me. He's like, hey, can you come back and pick me up? Because <laughs> I figured they would, they would help him. They would hold him so he wouldn't do anything dumb. Because... We want some people to hold them, right? We want God to restrain them. We want God to do something there. But God won't. Doesn't coerce me, and he won't coerce him. So I came back, and I got him, but I knew it's like, I, I can't stay with you all day. Nor do I want to, right? But sometimes love will demand that. But I was like, okay, um... Let me come back and I'll, I'll help. And so I went into his little uh, apartment, his hotel room. And he had vomited all over the floor from just being drunk. I mean, it was disgusting. And, and vomited. Huge piles of vomit and everything. And everything is dirty and it stinks. And I'm like, okay, I'll... Let me help you clean this. I brought a shop back and wet rags and took all those clothes home and washed them and came back and did it. And I, and I, I don't share that as like, woo, look at me. Th yes, that, that was love, right? That's love. But he needs more. And when he calls, I don't want to answer it. Why not? Because it's costly. Because he'll take my life, and I feel like I got very little of it at the moment. 
Now, th- this, I, I'm not saying that we should be guilted into this. This person needs more people than just me. And I, could, I can grab other people. I can sound the alarms. And I can call others and say, let's come around him. Let's come around him. He's making stupid decisions. And he's going to die if he keeps going this way, potentially. He's experiencing the consequences of his life. He's sleeping and puke and vomit and all of this. Because he's unwilling at this moment. But love looks like one going after. Motivated not by guilt, not by shame, but it's costly. And I only bring that up because at many times I don't want to go that way. And I only shared that just as a confession. When Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you're going to die. Right? You're going to die, to your, you're going to give your life away. And so if I, can, if I think following Jesus and embracing his love is like, oh, I get his love, I'm taking it and I'm running it to the bank and there's no physical wrath and we're all kind of good as a metaphor receiving the consequences of Jesus and, um, and Jesus is pouring out his grace on me and hopefully I got friends who are going to be like, oh, you're being an idiot. But, but for the other brothers and sisters who are finding themselves in that place, it could be really costly because it may demand way more, t- may demand your life. And Jesus seems to say that's what following him looks like when love is the ethos. God is love. And so in a way, this picture, to consent to God's love is two ways. Meaning I need to consent to God's love for me. And then I need to consent to God saying, Bo, I want you to love others. Will you consent to my love for others? Will, will, will you give it? Not out of shame, not out of guilt, not out of duty, but out of me moving you. By you loving another and pulling in other people. And when I'm too weak and when I can't, there'll be others. Not only on me, we got a family. We got a family, it's called the church. Not one individual. If you're doing it alone, we're doing it wrong. But God is inviting you to consent to his love for yourself, to receive it. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He loves you. And then to give that love away, to live in it. That's why I think this matters. Finally, we... we yeah, I knew there was no way that I was going to do this in 30 minutes. For some, when we, when we take the literal wrath out of the hands of God, some have an inverse reaction of like, don't take my wrathful God away from me. And usually what that looks like is there's someone who deserves it. There's somebody who if God is going to strike with violence or vengeance or anger, there's somebody who deserves it. And, and there might. Like, like, yeah. We could, if we opened the mic here and gave our community the opportunity of the hurts that have been done against you, we would all drop to our knees and weep over the freedom, the distortions that have been allowed where God is not coerced but has consented 
towards people going their own way and allowed their own way to hurt you. We would drop to our knees. And so for some, this idea of God having a wrath that is violent, retributive, and angry, we like it. They deserve it. For some, it maybe is even, even more trivial. Or they like it because they said, hey, I did it right. Usually that means that you didn't have sex with everybody you want to do. <laughs> Usually. And the other person who kind of just did whatever they wanted, you're like, no, we want them to get it. <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is, is that if, if there's consequences for sin, we're all getting it. There's no one who is not experiencing the consequence for sin. We actually don't need God to be angry, wrathful, and, ven- and, and spreading vengeance. They're experiencing death and will. When we want to have the God of wrath, that story of the prodigal son where the son comes home and the father doesn't shame him, punish him, reprimand him, but he embraces him, we're almost acting like the older brother who's saying, why? I did everything right. You never gave this to me. I'm not coming to the party because you're embracing this person. The older brother wanted a wrathful father. And yet that wasn't the picture of the father. And the older brother was getting it wrong because everything that was the father's was his. And he says, son, come in. It's all yours. May we see our God as loving. May you consent to that love today. And may you say yes and come home. May any ideas about wrath or God being angry with you be pushed to the side and you look at the face of Jesus, which is calling you home as a shepherd who says, come back, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And all we must do is say yes, that's repenting. Yeah, I'll come home. Yeah, I'll come home. You don't got to know how you're going to stop all the destructive behaviors that may be in the wake of your life. We don't have to have it figured out. We may need help. We have brothers and sisters. But you also may be one of the people who needs to go after someone who is wandering away and doing really stupid things. You may need Jesus. You're going to have to have Jesus be the one who invites you into that. And I pray that you would consent to the love of Jesus that's going to draw you after another person. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and illuminate all that you want. May we consent to your love. May we consent to your saying yes to the love that you have for us. May we consent, God, to the love of you moving us. May you fuel us with your Holy Spirit when we follow your lead. God, let shame, guilt, or any of that stuff have no place in us. But may love have its way. May it have its perfect way where there's no punishment. We're not afraid of getting it wrong. Jesus, make yourself known and may those who have wandered return because you celebrate. And we celebrate for one who comes to their senses and says, oh, I'm going the wrong way. Oh, God, help. Jesus, have mercy. So Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Holy Spirit, for anyone who has heard it and is mad, feel like the scriptures have been distorted, would you, would you fill them in love to be able to correct, 
to illuminate, to share that. If there's a correction for me, Lord, come and bring it to brothers and sisters who love us so that we can move in your way, who submit to you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. Amen. All right, that w- yeah, I knew it was going to be a lot. And that's just the tip. We're going to look at the Old Testament next week. But, but may you be built up with a God who loves. May you be fueled by it today. May you go in peace in the love of Christ. Um, if you, uh, I think that, that's it. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.